In our epistle lesson this morning, we see the great gifting of the church with spiritual gifts amongst her members. We are reminded of the providence of God in distributing his gifts to each one individually as he wills. Now, this is the reality of our church life, and it's the reality actually for each one of us who are baptized into Christ's church. This is, however, nothing to take pride in, but rather to rejoice humbly in being gifted for service in the house of the Lord. The gospel lesson tells us of Christ's weeping because his people did not understand. They did not understand the amazing gifts they had been given. The law, the temple. I mean, it goes on and on. They did not understand how amazing it was that they were the chosen people of God. They did not have ears to hear. Their temple had become polluted, and Christ cleansed it. Our souls are blessed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Each of us, our souls, our persons, are very temples of God. They are illuminated by the gifts of God for the service of God and man. If we take pride in that which God has given us, spiritual giftings, but also talents, skills, looks, fortune, let's face it, God has given us everything. If we take pride in these gifts of God and how we are made and what we are, then we are asking for a cleansing, a cleansing of our temples, our souls, because the sin of pride will need to be cleansed from our souls. So the obvious question we should be asking about at this point in the sermon is this. What theological virtue will help us to fight this intellectual sin of pride? How do we build up strength in our life so that we can fight against that pride? The answer is probably not so obvious, and that's okay. That's why we have the church. We do, however, want to become habitual in seeing our sins and faults and asking the question, How can I fight this? What virtue can I work on to build up in my life to battle this sin? For the sin of pride, the answer is faith. One of the three theological virtues. We need to build our faith and trust in God Almighty. This seems like a big topic, and it is. So allow me to take us to Bishop Jeremy Taylor for some guidance and instruction. I want to review with you his layout of the acts or offices of faith, his signs of faith, and his means and instruments to obtain faith. So three sets of instructions from Taylor. Acts or office of faith, signs of faith, means and instruments to obtain faith. 
he notes that there are seven acts or offices of faith. And this is what a faithful person does. They are one. To believe everything which God hath revealed to us and humbly to submit. And that alone might be enough. But Bishop Taylor has much more. But to believe everything which God hath revealed to us and humbly to submit. Number two, to believe nothing concerning God but what is honorable and excellent. So to believe everything is one that he reveals to us in his scripture and in some sense in the general revelation, though guided by scripture. Two then, to believe nothing concerning God but that which is excellent and admirable and, on, uh, and honorable. Our faith concerning God must be as he himself hath revealed and described his own excellences. And in our discourses we must remove from him all imperfection and attribute to God all excellency. So it's a, it's a manner of thinking and talking about God in the most excellent. Now, does that mean that there might not, that there will never be times of doubt? No. But doubt is a struggle with faith. So we understand that. So to build our faith, we go back to seeing God in all ways as honorable, admirable, and excellent. Three, to give ourselves wholly up to Christ in heart and desire. So first, what we um, believe, what we don't believe about God, and now to give ourselves wholly to Christ. Four, to believe all God's promises. And that's a belief with specificity. And that whatsoever is promised in Scripture shall on God's part be as surely performed as if we had it in possession. That's strong faith. Five, to believe also the conditions of the promise or that part of the revelation which concerns our duty. So we believe God's promises and then we go sit on the couch and play video games and don't worry about trying to enact his will. Taylor's saying that's not how it works. Four, believe all God's promises because he will do them, but then believe also that there are conditions for us. We have a duty. He says many are apt to believe the article of remission of sins. God forgive my sins you know, you receive absolution, all the sins are forgiven. And he says, but they believe it without the condition of repentance or the fruits of holy life. And that is to believe the article otherwise than God intends it. So to believe that God is gracious and will forgive sins is excellent. But to believe that he'll do that without us repenting is foolishness. So faith involves Trusting God for what he said he will do, but also involves trusting that what he told us to do is important and that we must acknowledge and move forward in it. Six, to profess publicly the doctrine of Jesus Christ, openly owning whatsoever he hath revealed and commanded, not being ashamed of the word of God or of any practices enjoined by it. This is getting harder and harder to do. I mean, you're going to be disinvited from cocktail parties if you are that open about Jesus Christ. Our world 
It's amazing how far we've come in just, say, 20 to 30 years. Our world wants nothing to do with hearing you speak about Jesus at this point. Seven, to pray without doubting, without weariness, without faintness, entertaining no jealousies or suspicions of God, but being confident of God's hearing us and of his, return, his returns to us whatsoever the manner or the instance be that if we do our duty, it will be gracious and merciful. Again, if we are faithful to hear God's commands to us and what we are to do, we can trust God's promises that it will meet us and give us blessings for our faithfulness. <coughs> Pray like you know that's true. Have that kind of faith. So, wow, that's some serious faithful living that Jeremy Taylor outlines. Of course, some Christians live out those acts or offices of faith, but as a mustard seed. Some are growing in them. Maybe they're knee high. Some have a very full faith already and are adding to it on a daily basis. Taylor notes that St. Jerome mentions three signs of true faith. So here's the signs of faith. One, an earnest and vehement prayer life. So a sign of faith that you're, you're on the road. You, you may be small. You may be just sprouting. You may be you know, waist high. You may already be a tree. But there's no stopping in the Christian life. Catechesis doesn't stop when you're baptized or confirmed. So one of the signs of faith, an earnest and vehement prayer life. And that is usually for me most days enough to just stop me on my tracks. Say, oh, hmm, didn't really do well with that today, did I? Number two, to do nothing for vainglory. Hmm, don't I look good. Remember that publican and that uh, Pharisee? Which one went home justified? God, thank God I'm not like that guy over there. So, do nothing for vainglory, but wholly for the interests of the Christian religion and these articles we believe, valuing not all the rumors of men, but rather the praise of God. Do you want to be a man-pleaser or a God-pleaser? Three, this is again a sign of faith. To be content with God for our judge, for our patron, for our Lord, for our friend. Desiring God to be all in all to us as we are in our understanding and affections, wholly His. Taylor would then add the following. Four signs of faith. To be a stranger upon earth in our affections and to have all our thoughts and principal desires fixed upon the matters of faith, the things of heaven. St. Paul and Philippians, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, right? Focus your heart and mind on these things. Five, St. James' sign is the best, says Taylor. Show me thy faith by thy works. That's a sign of faith, that there's fruit in our lives. The fruit of service, particularly often, hopefully, within the giftings that God has given us that St. Paul talked about in our epistle lesson. 
we can often think about the gifts that we've got and we can say, hmm, even, even in my giftings, I don't do a very good job. My mother, who's sitting here today, asked me one day, it was years ago, hey, what do you think your, 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 your spiritual gift is? And I said, oh my gosh, isn't that obvious? The only one that I've consistently done anything with is tenacity. I'm not going to give up, dang it. I'm just going to keep hanging on. And sometimes I think that service looks like that. Boy, I don't really want to get up and go do that, but I know that's what I need to do, and I'm just going to hang on and go do what I know I need to do. I think God works with us there. Heart's not where it should be. Pride's probably creeping in everywhere. But if we're faithful to do what we know our duty is, that we know what God wants us to do. He'll work with us there. And we'll show our faith by our works. And again, they may just, you know, ankle-high works. You know, it, it, the issue is not, am I doing something uh, really grand? The issue is, am I heading in the right direction? Baby steps are fine, if that's where we're at. Number six, Taylor says, Signs of faith. He that believes does not make haste, but waits patiently till the times of refreshment come and dares trust God for tomorrow. So a sign of faith is patience and trusting God for what comes next. Seven, true faith is confident and will venture all the world upon the strength of its persuasion. Rather, God excuse me, will you lay your life on it, your estate, your reputation, and the doctrine of Jesus Christ, that the doctrine of Jesus Christ is true in every article? Will you say, everything I own, have, and am about is staked on that claim? If you can do that, then you have true faith. But he that fears men more than God believes men more than he believes in God. The eighth sign of faith. Faith, if it be true, living, and justifying, cannot be separated from a good life. Let me say that again. Faith, if it be true, living, and justifying, cannot be separated from a good life. Is it possible that we don't read our lives, our own lives very well? Yes, at times I talk to many people who I think have that problem. Can it be that other people will probably not read our lives very well? Yes. But generally, I agree with Taylor, this is a true saying, generally. It works, this, this faith works miracles, makes a drunkard become sober, a lascivious person become chaste, a covetous man become liberal. It overcomes the world. It works righteousness and makes us diligently to do and cheerfully to suffer whatsoever God hath placed in our way to heaven. This is what faith accomplishes and it becomes a sign in our life of our faith. For us to see, and yes, for others to see. Again, some of us take a long time, and that's okay. Some of us move quicker. Sometimes you thought you were running, and suddenly you realize you've fallen down, and you have to now crawl. 
This is how the life of faith works. These are good signs that we are continuing on the road of living a faithful life. Taylor, at the end of his discussion on faith, gives us a list of means and instruments to obtain faith. So this is kind of the active part for us to move forward in our faith. One, a humble and teachable heart. In some sense, this is true for all of us. Every last Christian has to own this humble and teachable heart. In another sense, clergy are called to have a humble and a teachable heart in a very particular and strenuous way. And when we decide that we are humble enough, God will usually raise up a priest over us, an archdeacon, a bishop, to teach us more humility. The, um, the one thing I talk to deacons about when they're new at their job and they're maybe in their first diaconal curacy, I'll say, your job as a diaconal curate, a curate is someone who's learning the, the care of souls, learning to do the job of holy orders. I said, your job is not at all to, to enact your vision. In fact, you can just shelve your vision for at the minimum a year, maybe longer. Your job is wholly and completely to support the clergyman that you're under in his vision. Your job is to help him enact that vision for the parish, for the church, for the ministry, for the school ministry, you know, whatever it is. Do you think that many contemporary American men like to hear that? <laughs> it's not a positive and I remember, you know, getting enough clue in my own life, like during um, clergy meetings, as a deacon, I was pretty quiet. It's not that I didn't have things to say. I just thought, I'm new at this. What do I know? These guys have been around for 10, 20, 30, 40. And Father Duvall had crossed his 60th year of ordained ministry before he passed into glory. That is amazing. And we have things to learn from those that have been doing what we do for a long time before us. So I tell that deacon, a humble and teachable heart, helping him do what he wants to do. And if you do that, and you've got humility, and you've, you've got an open heart to learn, you will learn everything you need to know to go out and be the, the rector of your own parish when you're priesthood and you move on in your life. So one, a humble and teachable heart. Have a humble and teachable heart and God will build the faith in you. Two, remove all love and affection for, every, for everything that is contrary to the faith of Jesus Christ and what He calls us to. Please don't get Taylor wrong. Don't get me wrong in interpreting Taylor. A beautiful meal is not outside or contrary to the faith of Jesus Christ and what He calls us to. You see, a beautiful meal is what God is preparing for us for eternity. A beautiful meal is what we come to this morning. A party is not contrary to the faith of Jesus Christ and what He calls us to. Enjoying this 
scenery is not contrary. So we need to get straight what he's not saying. Taylor is not a killjoy. Jesus is not a killjoy. But all things in proportion, connection, in balance, and in priorities. So if we're going to have some love and some affection for a party, say, it needs to be in context of the faith of Jesus Christ and what he has called us to. Three, prayer, he says, which is instrumental to everything, has a particular promise in this thing. He quotes, he that lacks wisdom, let him ask it of God. And then again, if you give good reasons to your children, excuse me, good things to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give his spirit to them that ask him? Ask of God. Pray to God and ask for the faith, ask for the wisdom, ask for the things you need. That's one of the ways in which we obtain faith. For the consideration of the divine omnipotence and infinite wisdom and our own ignorance are great instruments of curing all doubting and silencing the murmurs of infidelity. If we stop for a moment and realize who God really is and who we really are, says Taylor, your faith will be built. Five, avoid prying into mysteries that are beyond our understanding for the purpose of making them understandable. True faith acknowledges our limitations of understanding the things of God. And true faith learns to live within the tension of mystery. That is huge. Our enlightenment culture has been about destroying mystery for 400 years. Actually, the Anglican Church is one of the few places where I find a nice balance. Where this is what baptism means. This is how we understand it. This, you know, yada, on and on and on. And you could spend years reading about holy baptism. Take Holy Communion. Add another set of years for reading about that. And at the end of the day, all those treatises will say you can go this far and no further. We can understand these parts of it, but ultimately we can't understand the mystery of God working in us. We can't understand the mystery of God in a body. We can't understand the mystery of the Holy Trinity. Yes, we know libraries full of theological treatises, and so we know a lot of things about it. And Taylor's not saying to those that I've dealt with also that say, oh, it's a mystery. Don't even bother with it. We can't understand that. No, no, no. The balance is to say, this is what we've been delivered through the scriptures and through the teaching of the church. This is what we'll never understand. And we can live in that tension. It's hard. As, as modernists, this is a hard tension. Everyone wants to just, you know, figure it all out on a spreadsheet and be able to say, oh yeah, here's what it means. Number six, obtaining faith. In time of temptation, be not busy to dispute, but rely upon the conclusion and throw yourself upon God. So in moments of of difficulty, of being tempted, uh, tempted to your sins, tempted to doubt, that's not the time to have a theological discourse. That's not the time. 
just trust the conclusion of God in his scriptures, the conclusion of the church, and live based upon that. And when you are in a better place, then have some disputation. Then ask the questions. Seven, says Taylor, it is a wise and prudent course that in our health and best advantages, when we are healthy and strong spiritually, we lay up particular arguments and instruments of persuasion and confidence to be brought forth and used in the great day of temptation. So that follows the one right before, right? Six is not the time to have the disputes. It's when you're in a good place, have the disputes. And he says, lay it up. Put the argument in your mind. Have it already in your understanding so that when you hit that temptation again, you go, oh, wait a minute, let me draw that. Yeah, mm, yeah, I see. No, we're good. Eight. The wisdom of the church of God is very remarkable in appointing festivals or holy days whose solemnity and offices have no other special business but to record the article of the day, such as Trinity Sunday, Ascension, Easter, Christmas Day. There is no better instrument to endear the affection and hearty assent to the article than their proclaiming and recommending it by the festivity and joy of a holy day. In other words, says Taylor, Worshipping God, particularly on the high holy days, is one of the best instruments to build our faith. It's very sacramental, isn't it? Taylor understands the worldview that we need to live in. Well, it wasn't a very quick lesson, but I hope it was a helpful lesson from Bishop Taylor on faith. And I hope you understand how important it is as well. And I hope it is a helpful reminder of how we inculcate the theological virtue of faith. Practice this week. Make faith a daily virtue, a moment-by-moment virtue of trusting God's person in His promises and in our vocation in response to His person and promises. Amen.